much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock. Are we recording, motherfucker? Are we recording? Are we recording, motherfucker? Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam Andrew O'Donnell. Damn. And you are listening to episode 40 of Horror Business. Wow, that was low energy. Are we bummed? Is I'm not this... bummed. I'm saving it for later. Oh, because you're about to get worked up about... Um, what are we talking about Bo- this week? Bojangles? This, this episode, Bojangles. <laughs> Bojangles. Isn't that the colloquial... What What are some of the colloquial names? Uh, for the creature we're talking about? Yeah, we're discussing... There's the Yahweh, the Momo, uh, the... the Alma, the Sasquatch, the... The Bigfoot. We're talking about Bigfoot this guy this week, Harry, guys. Harry McGee. Harry McGee. Skookum. Forest ape. Forest ape. Skunk ape. Oh yeah, skunk ape. Uh, Rob Lowe described one when he was almost attacked as a wood ape. Jesus. But that's right. We're talking about Bigfoot behaving badly. It's an episode I've wanted to do for a minute now. Mm-hmm. So uh, on this this episode, we're going to be talking about 1974's Shriek of the Mutilated and 1980's Night of the Demon. Now. I, okay, look, we have a bunch of things we need to get into. I just want to say a few things before we get any before we go any further. Let's lay down some 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 facts about what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, but no, 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 no. Where we need to start is, I think you need to be upfront about your prior bias. Okay, you are very interested, as regular listeners know, but in case anyone found us anew. And they thought, well, listen to this, because these will be two objective takes. No, no, that's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to say. But you have a prior interest in cryptozoology. I am going to say that out of all things, here is a fact, okay? Here is, I will, all cards on the table, as they say. I am a skeptic of most things. A lot of things scare me, but I am a skeptic of most things. I believe that Travis Walton is a liar. I don't believe that there is a monster in Loch Ness or Lake Champlain or Lake Okonobo or anything like that. I don't believe in the Dover Demon. I don't believe in the Mothman. I don't not believe in Bigfoot. Like, I'm not saying I believe that there's this hairy creature out there that's doing all sorts of mischievous shit over the past forever. But you're not saying you don't believe But I'm saying out of all the things that I've read about since I was a little kid and all the weird shit that so supposedly happens out there, in all honesty, Bigfoot is the least insane-sounding things out of all of that. Like Thunderbirds, Skinwalkers, Mothmen, Dover Demons, Lake Monsters, all of that shit, the Flatwoods Monster, all that. Out of all of those things, Bigfoot, I'm like, okay, if there was one thing that is actually true... Like, if they pulled a monster out of Loch Ness, I'd be like, holy shit, that's that's something. But if they, like, shot a Bigfoot, I'd be like, oh, okay. I'm sad, but, you know, I'm not surprised. I think I would be surprised only because my assumption about Bigfoot has always been that um, there's something else going on. So, like, let's say, okay, let's say you're in a – I mean, at this point – it's hard to believe anything because, you know, we have satellites everywhere. Ex- that's exactly. But, but I'm saying, like, let's say it's 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And they shot something and it was a, a Bigfoot specifically. Yes. 
I would find that more surprising than if in a Bigfoot area they shot something and then were like, oh, hey, guys, we thought we shot a Bigfoot, but it turns out it's the last surviving Cro-Magnon, and it's lived for thousands of years in the woods by uh, hiding from humans. I find that more believable than Bigfoot. Well, it, it's it's uh, there was a book that came out a few years ago called, and I don't know why it's the title, it, it, it's titled that as it's such because it's not really about, I mean, they talk about, it's just called When Bigfoot Attacks. And the theory, um, the central argument of this book is that the reason that we cannot find Bigfoot is because we are dealing with a species that our ancient ancestors waged war upon and drove to the um, dark bowers of mankind's realm. And that this thing is smart enough to deliberately avoid us. And the reason we don't find the corpses is because we have like an elephant graveyard phenomenon going on. It, Occam's Razor says that's full of shit. I'm inclined to believe otherwise. But like I said, that makes more sense to me than like... There's a plesiosaur living in the Scottish lake that we haven't discovered. I like that you specifically want to take on. You have, it seems like, an axe to grind with, Loch ne- with, with Nessie. That's or the rather, most popular one. The uh, believers of I'm Nessie. sorry. Let's talk Lake Champlain, the lake which I did not jump into back in 2004 when I was on tour with my band because I was too afraid and I withstood the brunt of the mocking of your coworker, Brad Hogarth, because of it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just like, it, it just, it's one of those things that there's so much like, there's so much anecdotal evidence, which again counts for nothing. But to me, it's the thing, it's the spooky thing out there that makes the most sense, including ghosts, including ultra crypto terrestrials, all that stuff. And there are people out there who believe that Bigfoot is an ultra terrestrial. I talked to one of these people at a paranormal conference a few years ago, and I, that's 45 minutes of my life I'll never get back. But that's what I get for going to a paranormal conference, I guess. He signed a book for me. It's about Bigfoot in, in Pennsylvania, how the Bigfoot is actually like an interdimensional creature who causes interference with our recording devices, and that's why we can't find him. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just going to go ahead and say that um, when I was a kid, I believed in Bigfoot. Okay. And for me, I got to a point where believing in Bigfoot was the same. And I'm not saying it is the same because this is unfair, but for me, it was the same as believing in the government's creation and distribution of crack. Yeah, but don't you actually believe that? That's what I'm saying. At the time... Okay, okay, okay. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. So at the time, believing that there's probably a Bigfoot and we're just being lied to was the same as like pretty early on. Like high school, I was like, government created crack. Yes. There's no such thing as killer bees. A- <laughs> gar- AIDS was probably because of the government too. I'm on board with all these things. Yeah, I mean, whatever. But the point is, is that that was then in the same boat with me as like... wait. What the fuck? No such thing as killer bees? Yeah, there's no such thing as killer bees. There, uh, 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 that The entire killer bee phenomena in the U.S. was basically um, a way for white folks to deal with their anxiety about black people. Well, yeah, but that Africanized doesn't... Africanized bee. There's all these Africanized bees. I mean, is it possible that there was like one actual attack by actual killer bees that actually came over our ship sure but when the killer bee phenomena happened culturally it was the same as satanic panic it was the same okay people were like the killer bees are here they're fucking swarming across the country they're riding snakeheads into our bathtubs they're running riots in downtown la yeah i saw the killer bees beat up a trucker in the middle (laughs) of the street it's just such white people bullshit if only those killer bees had listened to george zimmerman they'd be alive let me just tell you right now oh jesus christ 
Let me just tell you right now, if you're offended because you believed in killer bees, that's fine because you're a racist. Um, I'm going to say you're not a racist if you believed in killer bees. I'm going to say that your feelings about not white people helped you believe in that bullshit. I, I mean, I, I wasn't afraid of them, but I remember reading about it and being like, oh, okay, there's like vicious bees out there. Fine. Look, on with my day. To me, killer bees are similar to... You, how familiar are you with um, Barnum and Bailey... Or not Barnum Bailey, the Ringling Brothers. Yeah, they're they're my enemy, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even remember. No, it wasn't them. Who is the guy who is, I'm thinking of those, those are circus people, but I'm thinking of um, Ripley, or not, Ripley's Believe It or Not, or who's, you know, Carney dudes. Who was like one of the first big Carney? P.T. Barnum? P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Remember his first big act was uh, bringing around the black lady and saying that she nursed George Washington? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. His first big act is he had this old-ass black lady. Who, by the way, was basically his slave, but he said that she it was it, he sold this thing as if she was a performer as part of his show. Okay, but in reality, they're pretty sure he like bought her, but he would take her to places where slavery was not yet legal or was no longer legal. But he was like, "Oh no, it's the thing," and the whole thing was that she was now 190 years old or whatever, and she had raised George Washington, and. This entire fucking corny <laughs> bullshit. It's funny, but it's not because it's basically based off the fact that white people are racist and they just see a gnarled old black lady and they're like, sure, she's 190. In fact, of all, there were all these theories about how this thing was fake. None of them were that she's just a normal old lady who he owns, who he's yeah, 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 making yeah, yeah. this. The actual theories were that she was made of rubber. <laughs> that she was a fucking robot and automaton. And this is pre-Civil War. People were like, she's probably an automaton. What? Or she's just an old black lady and you're too racist to see her as actually a human being. You just are like, well, she's so narrowed and old. Clearly she raised George Washington. I mean, what's at stake here is that either she doesn't exist, she's not a human, or she raised George Washington. There's no other scenario here where she's a slave and the crazy white man told her, That's so crazy tell to me. people you raised George Washington. Like At the time, people would be like, he's using a ventriloquist to make her talk. No, she's just a lady. She's a sad lady. And then the worst part is, because he did probably, they think, own her, after she died, he like displayed her body and had like autopsies and shit. Because he was still trying to say that she was like two hundred some almost two hundred years old. Is so dehumanizing. Okay. Back to killer the back to pull back, I think yeah. that that works part of that works because of racism. Okay. I think Part of the reason killer bees work is because of racism. That's why so many people were willing to go. If they're Africanized, they're probably taking over the fucking country. There's no. I see what you mean. I, I, I it's, it's, it's not something I've, I, I've ever given much thought to. But at the same time, I see what you're talking about. Right. I mean, again, I'm not actually saying anyone out there is racist against certain kinds of bees. All I'm trying to say is there are weird fears about the bees being Africanized. If the story was these bees had come from like uh england but they were weirdly aggressive everybody like i don't know about that that doesn't sound real anglicized killer bees yeah that would be a thing okay um so you were saying about bigfoot and the crack so it's only now as i got older i started to realize that some of these things just don't make sense so like the loch ness monster all the theories trying to explain like the hole where it escapes from the lock into the all that stuff just stopped working for me or with bigfoot it's not the 
obvious intoxication of many people who see him or the weirdness of all that. It's more just the reality of like we've mapped so much shit. Yeah. That like it's hard for me to believe that you could have a whole species. If we're saying that Bigfoot is just the same Bigfoot, just the Which one foot. No one is saying that. If, if But that would be believable. The idea that there's an entire species of foot in the U.S., that's harder for me to lap onto. Now, if this was, again, the reason Loch Ness actually could appeal in some places is because we still find insane, weird things in the ocean. Like, if someone wants to say, like, well, in the depths of the ocean, there's, like, fucked up shit. That I'm on board with. But totally. I'm, but the idea for, uh, okay, Jesus Christ. But you know what I mean? In, in other words, it's hard for me to believe that there's enough woods left in North America that an entire species of things that big could actually hide. Like that part See, that doesn't got I mean, harder and harder for me as time went on. In the in the eighties, in the nineties, I was like, Yeah, you know, it's still possible. There's unexplored regions. And now I'm like, there's no fucking way. I don't believe the government would know. If I had a a, a secret car I wasn't supposed to have in my backyard. They would know. They would know. Yeah. No. Uh, again, let me be clear. It's not that I'm like it's not that I'm like on it, I'm not a I'm not a squatcher. I'm not a squatcher. <laughs> squatcher. I'm just. I, it, it, it's just like when it comes when it comes to all things weird. Um, Bigfoot is the one thing where I'm like, oh fuck! Like I don't want that to be real because, um, we'll talk about it later in the episode when we get into the whole the, the whole idea that there's this these movies where they all they always say like, there's been no recorded case of a Bigfoot actually attacking someone. Like that's, um. Not at all true, and we'll talk about it when we talk about Night of the Demon, but um, that was just something... Oh, and all the other fact, the other thing I wanted to lay on the table, uh, so we can further just talk about this episode, most movies about Bigfoot are almost unwatchable. Most horror movies about Bigfoot are really fucking bad. Yeah. And I think these two movies, I specifically picked Shriek of the Mutilated, because it really embodies a lot of the things that make Bigfoot movies unwatchable. Um, but they're, they're, they're bad for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah, I don't, I can't think of a single example of a Bigfoot horror movie. That's very effective. <coughs> Willow Creek. <coughs> I get, I get, let me sip my seltzer. I got a cough. It's weird. It's- Sorry, I had a cough there for a second. I just um, <clears throat> what were you saying about effective Bigfoot movies? It's weird. I blacked out for a second because I was coughing so hard. I didn't know you were such a Willow Creek fan. How do you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, hey, so before we jump into the horror we've seen lately, I feel like there's something we need to talk about. What is it again? Oh yes, this episode is brought to you by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. The premier screen company, screen printing company of the Lehigh Valley. Now, let's say you are organizing a, some kind of hunt, some kind of safari for some sort of mythological cryptozoological creature. <laughs> let's say you're gone squatching and you need t-shirts for your squatching expedition. You're in luck. Because you can just contact the fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, and they will help you design the T-shirts for your Squatch ep- expedition. Now, okay, full disclosure, guys, I work there. Liam works there, so this is not entirely self-serving. But, but actually, it is. Here's the thing: you might be like, "Look, of course, Liam's endorsing uh, LVAC. He works there. He's got a, a thing in it." Look, I'll be honest, guys. 
I don't want you to send your stuff to LVAC. If you send your stuff to LVAC, that's just more work. It's for more me work for him. I don't care about that. If you, if no one ever sent an order to LVAC again and Chris Reject was destitute, that'd be fine. I could work there for a while longer before yeah. it would affect me. So I don't want you to send your stuff. But if what you're saying to me is, look, I have things. I need koozies. I need bandanas. I need t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, sweat fucking pants. Mm-hmm. The idea that you would get them printed anywhere else on the fucking planet is offensive if you and awful and immoral. If you want sweatpants with Patterson down one leg and Gimlin down the other, and that's a fucking joke that you will probably, hopefully not understand, they will print that for you. If you need a t-shirt which has a still frame from the Patterson-Gimlin film with Bigfoot wearing Wayfarer sunglasses and a fucking skateboard tucked under his arm, or her arm because there's a lot of people think it was a female Bigfoot, they'll print that. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you, if you're hearing this, go there and get that fucking t-shirt made. Look, again, I would prefer you not to send your stuff. If you send your stuff, I'm going to have to count in the shirts. I'm going to have to, you know, get it all lined up. I'm probably going to have to fold it and tape up the box and mail it to you. You think I want to do that shit? I don't fucking want to do it. But the reality, the fucking reality here is that you need to get your stuff printed at LVAC. Printing anywhere else on the planet is foolish. It's just dumb. It's just a bad idea and possibly immoral. I agree to that. So. X. L-V-A-C-X. Dot com. Chris Reject is not straight edge. He is not. It's not even fucking close. No. He's not even one of those people who, you know, they really like Youth of Today and they had like a sip of wine at a Youth of Today concert or a Morrissey concert. He's not even one of those people, like a second round person. That's what I say. Chris really likes like blats, you know. Chris, he does the shit, the filth of blats split. Yeah, oh, yeah. Chris really likes um, really early Ted Leo. That's right up his alley. Oh, uh, Chris, uh, I don't know. He just likes really snotty stuff. He does. He's he's folky. So when I was talking about Chris Reject, you can check him out at www.xlvacx. That's www.xlvacx. Dot com. One more time, www.xlvacx.com. Let them know that we sent you there. Please. And if you're working on something and it needs a little extra flavor, you know, just a little extra spiciness. Mm-hmm. For your ear. Rest re- in peace, re- Craig Mack. Request, request I be a part of the process. Yes. You know? Liam will help you out. <laughs> so, Liam. Yeah. Have you done anything horror-related recently? Well, as you know, it's, it's difficult for me, but I did manage to squeeze in a, a little movie called My Friend Dahmer. You saw it? Yeah, of course I saw How it. How did you see it? I have it. Bro, you don't, you don't come over to watch stuff that isn't podcast related. I want to, and I really wanted to see that movie, and I wish you would have invited me. Now I have to wait for it to come out in standard definition Blu-ray. No, I'll watch it again. I don't care. Okay. I, to be fair, I didn't watch it in one go. So when I say I'm unsure about the pacing, I have to say... That could be my fault because I just don't have the time. I very rarely watch a movie in ago anymore. Chances are I'm watching it between doing other things. And this is one of those movies. I try not to do that, especially for like uh, films that I'm like really invested in. But this is something I wasn't sure if I was going to like or not. Did you like it? Like I said, the pacing is a little slower, but I, I think it's... I think it's supposed to be based off the book, so I think that's why it's not. Yeah, the, it's not like someone wrote a tight script about Jeffrey Dahmer. It's like it's based off of this memoir to some extent, history slash memoir thing. Oh yeah, Durf Backdurf, I believe is the guy's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that being said, it's good. 
does it count as a horror film? I could understand people who are very uptight slash protective about the genre. You know, I, I don't want to defend those folks too hard, but I get that, like, for some people, they need it to fit, fit a certain structure. I think you're probably limiting yourself in unnecessary ways, but I understand. Um, it doesn't feel like a horror film. I mean, what we get here is more of a disturbing character study, but because knowing... In a sense, it should be horrifying because you know everything fucked up about this kid is going to lead him in a direction. And pretty young, his first murder now, was but, just out of high school. What? Who was Jeffrey Dahmer again? I'm not. I'm not familiar. Uh, he, from what I understand, um, murdered a bunch of people. Yes, mostly dudes. Mostly all dudes. All dudes. He then would fuck their bodies. Not true. Yeah, he fucked some heads and shit. Yeah, he did do that. And then uh, he might eat some. There was mm-hmm. some eating going on. A little on. bit of eating. Uh, anyways, the point is is that uh, the, the movie sort of portrays him as a weird dude from a fucked up family. Um, he has trouble relating to other people. He kind of wants to, but it, it's unclear why he wants to relate to other people. He's definitely hurting animals, obsessed with dead things. Uh, he's definitely... Uh, doing some ideation of what it might be to attack someone, mm. though he doesn't quite get there. Um, I assume that certain parts of the film, if they're in the book, they're pure speculation, because there's no way that whoever wrote this book could have known some of the stuff. Well, his... See, we've talked about it before. My dad is a bit of a true crime buff, and I remember specifically when this broke as a kid, I remember seeing them bringing the blue barrel down the stairs of his apartment and my dad's like this is history right here and i was like all right um i think his backstory has been from what i've read about this book in this movie yeah. it's a combination of the guy who wrote it it's his like autobiography like talking about what it was like to be friends with Dahmer, and then there's like they the, the screenwriters added some stuff that they knew from his personal like yeah, I mean, the friends as characters are compelling and his relationship with them, which is, it's very clear that they start their relationship with him as kind of a mocking thing. Like, let's keep this guy around because he's yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels like they actually start to, I wouldn't go so far as to say respect, but they start to like kind of get him a little bit. Okay. But they're also shitty teenagers. So like, even if they're starting to like him, they're not going to treat him as they would other people because they're kind of selfish and they kind of high school kids in what the 70s yeah they like him for what he can do which is basically make a scene and that's what he would do he would make a scene in public he get drunk a lot but it's also true that as they're trying to figure out how to be friends with him his family's falling apart his mom is literally a crazy person and so um i think that the issue there is that um uh, they're starting to be turned off by him, not the way they were before. When they first relate to him and they feel a little bit better than him, yeah, it's because he's a loser. Then they start to appreciate how funny he is and interact with him. But then he's starting to get dark and angry because of what's going on at home. Mm. And so then they start to feel alienated from him because of that, which he in the film is interpreting as like they don't respect him. Although you don't get a lot of his internal world, which I think was a good choice. I'm in, I'm. I'm interpreting the way he is interacting with them is that he's starting to feel like they don't really care about him a little bit. Okay. But what the movie does is even though you see a lot of who he is and there's a lot of meat there for you to 
discern what's going on. There's no commentary from him, and he doesn't talk about how he's feeling a lot. Like he's kind of in some ways, even though the movie's about him and it's focused on him, you don't learn about what he's feeling because you wouldn't. You know, that would yeah. be too much speculation. But it creates such an eerie. It's worth noting because it creates such an eerie feeling because you're with this character the whole movie, and by the end, it's like I don't fucking get this guy. He's the movie reveals how the world is responding the world around him is responding to him gotcha but it doesn't reveal who he is and i think that was actually a good choice because in the end you don't fuck it this is the guy who just started doing all kinds of crazy shit so like the <laughs> idea that they, put it. the idea that the but you know what i mean like the, the idea that the film would give you some insight into his internal world that would be a step too far if okay. it was like okay we're gonna explain to you why jeffrey dahmer is jeffrey dahmer you think it would have been like bad taste if they took it that far, just because like they they don't want to romanticize this. Not even because they could have done it in a way that wouldn't be romantic. Like it could also be like he's this way because he's evil or he's a gay. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there are all kinds of like takes on it. You know what I mean? Like that. You know what I mean? You could yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that by by allowing it to be ambiguous, like you see what he's going through, you see the steps, but you don't you don't get the internal what's going on with him that's just accurate you don't know none of his friends know his fucking family doesn't know like yes these these are the the occurrences the events that led him in a direction yeah but lots of people could have gone through similar circumstances and never ate a body yeah i mean so i in other words my worry going into the movie was that it would overstep and try to explain jeffrey dahmer and so it's very rare you have a movie stay with a character for the whole film. I mean, the movie is about him. It's not about his fucking friends, yeah. even though it's called My Friend my friend Dahmer. It's about him, and you see every moment is with him. And yet, it never explains him. You're with this, I wouldn't say blank slate, but you're with this mystery the whole movie. And when it ends, it's, it's not going to be like... Oh, I get it. Now I know why he <laughs> fucked men and after he killed them. Yeah. Like, no, you know, I mean, yes, there's something there. Like, you get a feeling. Because one of the things we know from Dahmer's talking about himself is that he realized he was gay early on, but he also had these, like, domination fantasies. Like, they can at least show you that he is trying to figure out his sexuality a little bit. Yeah. But they don't even make a big deal out of that, which I think was a good call because you could run the risk of being like, Oh, he ate people because he was a repressed, like he was repressing his desire. Well, that doesn't make sense. Lots of people repress their desire yeah. to eat people. You know what I mean? There were so many mistakes that could have been made that the fact that the movie didn't make them made it more interesting for me in a lot of ways. Hmm. And it's filmed well. The performance, the guy who's Dahmer is fucking brilliant. But also the friends, even though they seem like easy roles, they're just shitty teenagers. They're good. They're yeah. good in that, you know. And what's her name? Uh, Anne Hesh is his mom. Yeah, she plays his mom, and then who's the guy who plays the father? He was in. He was on a few seasons of The Walking Dead. He was right. in Mayhem. Yep. Like it looks awesome. I don't remember his the dad's name. So yeah, I I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say again if you're looking for a more traditional horror film. I don't know if it'll scratch that itch, so to speak. But I really, really enjoyed it, and I really am glad I watched it. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out uh, when it co- when it's released on home video. Just come over. We'll watch it here, man. Okay. I mean, I still want to. I still want to buy it because I want to support. You know, 
spooky stuff, but <laughs> spooky. Right. Did you do anything else involving? Um, no, I mean, I finally caught uh, the shape of water. Did we talk about that already? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, also, yeah, real quick. Uh, the Oscars. What's up with that? <laughs> Guillermo del Toro kicking down the door. Give me that golden statue. And just fucking taking it. Two of them. So take that, motherfuckers. I mean... Let's be clear. I don't think we're suggesting that The Shape of Water is a horror film per se. No, but Get Out won Best Original Screenplay, too. So Yeah, and it's certainly horror-influenced. I mean, the, 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 there's gore in it. Yes. There's a fish creature. The fish creature fucks. It could be a horror movie, but it's not played that way. But I'm saying I'm just happy that Guillermo del Toro took it because he's the yeah. fucking man. I mean, you've been knee deep in his video, his filmography for the past forty-eight hours. Oh, I okay. Let me just put this out. Since this is the first recording, let me just put this out there. I didn't realize the, the hornet's nest I was kicking by criticizing Hellboy. Um, I'm glad Justin got involved. He really brought some people were less offended when Justin was like, "Look, I'm just going to say that." Ron Perlman's performance as Hellboy is similar to Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And people were like, okay, that's fine. And in my head, I'm going, that's a rough-ass diss. Jack Nicholson, let me just put this out there if you didn't know this. Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker is a bad performance. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not good. No, like like I said. It's great if you just want to see Jack Nicholson in makeup be like, I'm fucking Jack Nicholson. My, whole thing, my whole thing was it's, the, it's Jack Nicholson's Joker, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, and... Tim Curry's Pennywise. They're all great performances by very talented actors, but they're performances that fucking fail to capture the essence of the character. Right. They're fine. I, I don't know. I guess I find Gene Hackman's uh, Lex Luthor to be the least bothersome of the bunch. Yeah, because that's not the one that's often held up as the gold standard, despite not being right. a good essence of the you know character well, at all. I, the fact that people still bring up Jack Nicholson's Joker after... Heath Ledger did Joker is weird to me. Or, or, or Jared Leto. I thought Jared Leto did a better job at being the Joker than Jack Nicholson. I'm not talking about the rest of the movie. I'm not talking about the rest. Of, I'm talking Jared Leto specifically. I, I don't know. I didn't love his Joker. But on the other hand, yeah, objectively speaking. But here's what it boils down to at this. If you're like, okay, you have to choose between Jared Leto's, you know, somewhat believable Joker yeah. Or Jack Nicholson and makeup being Jack Nicholson. I picked Jack Nicholson in yeah. the week. And, it's and it's far more entertaining. Yeah, it's far, far more. So again, uh, of in that whole group, do I think Ron Perlman is the worst example? No, 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 no. And again, Ron Perlman and makeup being Ron Perlman is fine. But um, it, you know, someone was like, "Well, the per I think it was uh, one of the Brendans was like, Ron well, the per performance has more vulnerability." than Ron Perlman's more tough guy performances, like for Alien Resurrection or whatever. But if you don't see the similarities between Ron Perlman's Hellboy and Ron Perlman in that shitty Sons of Anarchy show, you're not paying attention. Oh, yeah. Like a gruff, short-tempered asshole. Yeah, whiny dude. And the difference is he's a villain in Sons of Anarchy and he's the hero in Hellboy. But yeah. he injects, to me, reading the comic book, Hellboy is never, almost never whiny. The younger Hellboy gets a little bit whiny because he's younger. But the Hellboy that's like the main focus of the series in that age of life, he's sullen. Yeah. But there's a big difference between being sullen and whiny. In, in other words, 
<clears throat> Pearlman's feels more like a lovable scamp. Yes. And, I mean, minus the misogyny, at times the Hellboy in the comic is like a Bukowski, like a sad man who, like, doesn't believe he has a chance anymore. Yeah. He doesn't hate women, but he does kind of hate himself. Yes. And that's what the comic is about, is that... Everywhere he goes, magical people go, you know you're going to end the world, right? And he's just like, fuck, I don't care. Shut up. I don't want to <laughs> hear about it anymore. That's really what the comic is about is like avoiding fate. And the movie kind the both the movies kind of play with that theme, but they don't really get there. And <clears throat> again, for the first for when it came out, it's great. The first Hellboy, Hellboy 2 has some real beautiful aspects to it i love the martial arts in it i like the design of the things the special effects work better than they do in hellboy sure 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 and it's Guillermo del toro movie you know what is bad about a Guillermo del toro movie you know what i mean like like mimic is his worst movie and i like mimic yeah so whatever point is um officially i'm sorry if i bummed you out unofficially fuck you So did you watch anything anything else all related? No, 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 I'm done. You're I done? wasn't even I wasn't even going to mention uh Hellboy, but I feel like I should because I don't want to This will be my one thing to say like, look, I'm sorry if I bummed you out, but I am also kind of not sorry. Uh real quick before I talk about what I've done, um also thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys make this possible and we are eternally grateful. Get at us, we'll send you free shit. And thank you. Uh, I really I want to talk real quick about something. We were contacted by the Modern Horrors Podcasting Network. They are a podcasting network we follow on Twitter. You can follow them at Modern Horrors. They are branching out into short film production. And they, we were asked to do a review of their debut short film. It's It will be available for public viewing on uh, March 23rd, so a few days from now. Um, it's five minutes. It's just called bedtime. Um, some of it felt a little familiar. Some of it felt a little well-tread. It's about sleep paralysis. It's something that hasn't, it's something that's been done before. Um, but the thing that I think really made it, uh, this is gonna be hard to explain because it's only five minutes long. Um, one of the things that I've always felt was actually really scary um, is people being afraid. And what I like about this movie, this short film, is that it focuses more on... Um, it's just this guy experiencing sleep paralysis, phantom, spooky creature comes in his room, fucks with him, whatever. Um, I like the fact that this, this, this chose to focus on the reaction of the protagonist um, and him being afraid, which really was really, 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 really effective. Um... There's a couple shots that I gotta be honest were a little too uh like imagine lights out if lights out wasn't shitty. Um like the silhouette of the creepy thing at the foot of the bed. Uh but again, all that wasn't really all that scary because the character's reaction to what he was seeing and what he was feeling was what made this movie really, 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 really spooky. Um I dug it overall. Uh, so we'll post the link in the show notes. We'll post a couple links on Twitter about it, but, uh, yeah, check it out. Bedtime. It's, uh, they're going to be doing a couple more, uh, short stuff like this and I, um, I'm looking forward to it. So big ups to modern horrors, Luke and all those guys. Uh, the final girls are part of the, uh, modern horrors podcasting network. So, 
Um, thanks for giving us a chance to talk about it. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll put the link up. It's a very, uh, it's a very liberal word. The use of the word "us." I told you to watch it. You didn't send me a link. I didn't. I'll show. I'll send it to you. Then. Oh my god! So anyway, I didn't watch it. I bet I would love it. I bet. If we had both watched it, this would be about us arguing because I would love it, and I'd say nothing but positive things. Hang on a second, it. let me forward this to include Liam Rules, Liam O'Donnell. I didn't see it though. Sent. It's sent. All right. Okay. What else did I do horror related? Uh, you know, nothing really. Nothing really that big of a deal. You know, all I did was meet John Carpenter this past weekend and Richard yeah, Dreyfus talk about, talk about at Monster Mania, and it was amazing. Um. So before I talk about that, the weekend before that was the New Jersey New Jersey Horror Convention in New Jersey. Um, I only went to meet David Naughton of American War of London and John Russo of, you know, you might have heard of him. He co-produced a little movie called Night of the Living Dead. You know, made a little night zombie series called Return of the Living Dead. Uh, me, meeting David Naughton was amazing. Uh, he is extremely charming. He was extremely charmed by the fact that I had a, not only an American Werewolf in London tattoo, but also a few years ago when I dressed up as, uh, Jack from American Werewolf in London. So, that was cool meeting those guys. Um, and then the weekend after that, which was last weekend, was Monster Mania in New Jersey. Uh, some of our listeners might have seen on the interwebs how fucking insane it was this year. Uh, Saturday was so crazy, they had to have a fire marshal come and shut it down, because there was just too many people there. Um, so I was kind of panicked. I, I usually go on Sundays just because it's, you know, there's no one there. I can get in and out and, you know, meet people. Um, I stood in line to meet John Carpenter for like an hour. Uh, it was pretty nuts. Um, John Carpenter was awesome. You know, he's a curmudgeonly old dude. Um, fairly certain he was high, but that's his choice. He's, you know, he's what, 100 years old? He's made some of the greatest films of all time. He can do what he wants. That's fair. Um, also met Grant Kramer and Suzanne Snyder of Killer Comps from Outer Space. Suzanne Snyder was also in my favorite Return of the Living Dead film, Return of the Living Dead 2. Um, met the Kyoto's brothers. That was cool. And I met Richard Dreyfus, which was so awesome because he is such a sweet old man who was so excited that I knew about the Maniunk I'm sorry, Matawan Creek attacks back in 1916 when a great white or bull shark swam up a creek in the Raritan Township, New Jersey, and attacked a family over the July 4th weekend, and that's what they based Jaws on. So I also got to talk to him about how I'm terrified of sharks, and that was, you know, pretty cool because you you get to speak to a guy who was in Jaws about how that movie ruined you as a human being when it comes to large bodies of water. Sure, of course. Um, He didn't make fun of me like some people named Liam O'Donnell do. Because well, I'm afraid of sharks. You're a fucking coward. Yeah, but whatever. He he got it. He liked it. Um, and that's uh, that's all I really did. Like horror, other things related. Um, I do want to briefly talk about a little film that debuted on Netflix recently called Veronica. Oh, I really wanted to see that. I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. It's very good. Uh, I I strongly disagree with the stuff that people are saying on the internet. Like they they also because they released the. Um, very ill, ill-gotten article, ill-advised, we'll say, ill-advised article about the top ten scariest movies on Netflix. They're so scary, people can't finish them. Oh my god! Which is basically they just looked at movies that like horror movies that oh people didn't gosh. finish, and they were like, they must be so scary that people didn't finish them, not realizing that like some of these movies are just so fucking bad that people don't finish them. 
uh, Jerusalem was on there, and that that movie was garbage. I feel like an asshole for finishing it. So you think that uh, people finish people don't finish movies for a variety of reasons? Yeah, is what you're basically saying. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I mean, some of these movies were scary, but not like so. This movie was being hailed as like there were there were people saying it's the scariest movie ever made, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here! Like, I don't need to. No, it's not the scariest movie ever made. It's stupid. Um. So I was like, I went into this movie. I was like, there's a there's a lot of hype around it, but it's not necessarily good hype. So I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. So I started watching it, and I got to be honest, this movie scared the fuck out of me. Uh, I spent most of the movie huddled up in a pile of blankets with my dog, uh, covered my eyes at some points, had to pause it to take a break because I was too spooked by it. Um, now you do get spooked though. No, but this was this was not like th- this was a very this was a very atmospheric movie. There was a lot of great shots of you know walking through this like dark silent apartment at night and weird point of views that you were like any second now something is going to creep into frame and really scare the fuck out of me. Um it, it the way it was set up like it opened up you know it, it opened up in a certain way, I don't want to spoil it. And then it flashed back to three days before. So when you're watching those three days play out, you're seeing different elements that you witnessed in the opening sequence, like start to play out. And you're like, oh. sure. you're like, there's this, I, I don't want to give it away, but there was one thing in particular where I was like, when I realized something was missing from that opening scene that was present throughout this, we'll say some, sorry, someone was missing from this opening scene that was present throughout the whole movie. Like my kind of, my heart like fell through my stomach and I was like, don't let this be what I think is going to be. Um, but definitely a very effective movie. Like don't let the hype ruin it for you. It's not the scariest movie of all time, but it's extremely effective, especially if you like, and again, I, well, at this point, probably have this carved on my tombstone because it's the thing I talk about the most. If you are a fan of the feeling of being terrified, the feeling of something lurking around the corner that could come out at any second and scare the fuck out of you, if you like that feeling, this movie excels at that. So I would definitely advise watching Veronica on Netflix. It's a Spanish film, so it has subtitles. So if that's the, if if that's if that's going to ruin it for you, you're probably not going to like it, but. Don't be such a xenophobe. Yeah, don't be such a fucking racist asshole. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's really, 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 really good. Really good. Tremendously good. Hey, you want to get into the meat of the episode? I do. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to drink some of my Mandarin orange seltzer water. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about 1980s Night of the Demon. We're going to start with Night of the Demon? We're going to start with Night of the Demon. Okay. We know that people living back in this area are able to see things that average people would never have a chance to. We believe that there is a creature living in these mountains that's on the verge of extinction.
Doctor, what I'm telling you is the truth. True, true. There is a creature out there. Good time, yay. Fun times. Yay. We are back to talk about 1980s Night of the Demons. Not to be confused with the 1988 film, Night of the Demons, plural, or the 1957 movie, Curse of the Demon. See, now, that also gets called Night of the Demon, Curse yes. of the Demon. Yes, But yes. it's it's different. It's a definitely different movie. Oh, it's totally different. There's no Bigfoot in the, in the 50s movie. Ah, well, that's an important difference. So, Night of the Demon. Wow. Um, I guess let's talk a little bit about the history of, like, Bigfoot in horror movies before we get any further in this. Obviously, the first Bigfoot horror movie made was the 1962 Patterson-Gimlin film. Sure. You've probably seen it. It's Bigfoot walking into the woods pissed off. Um, and then you have like the most famous one, the gold standard, quote-unquote, would be The Legend of Boggy Creek, uh, which might be one of my favorite movie posters of all time, where you know where it looks like the Bigfoot's like fucking getting low in the, in the lake. Yep. It's pretty cool. And then there was like there was this like explosion in the seventies and eighties of like backwoods slashers starring Bigfoot. Mm. Um, and then in the early two thousands up until now, you have a whole slew of um, found footage Bigfoot movies. Uh, and then I can't believe we just didn't talk about this. So right now, there's a movie that's actually out right now that's getting a fair amount of hype: Primal Rage, mm-hmm. which we've talked about in here before. Now. What's weird is I honestly think uh, Bigfoot cinema is one of the – is an area where I think really lends itself to the found footage uh, format. You know, because people are always going out there and looking for fucking Bigfoot. They're always doing these yeah. things. You know, like if the guys on the Sasquatch Hunters just never came back from the woods and then like a year later we found their equipment, I'd be like, that makes total sense. Sure. Um, so this movie is basically about um, this – it opens up, and there's this doctor. He's, like, in a hospital, and the cops are like, tell us what happened. And he's like, I'll go back to the beginning. So then he goes back. He's, like, a professor, Professor Nugent. And he leads a team of his students into the woods to find Bigfoot. Shit goes bad. They're fucking all brutally murdered except for him. And no one believes him. Which is a pretty, pretty uh, by-the-book setup for, for, for one of these movies. Uh... It is, I mean, it's like a typical backwoods slasher. You know, like, there's there's a, there's a lot of gore, a comical amount of gore. We see a man get his penis pulled off, which is amazing. Well, okay, so the the students, um, he brings these students out to look for, for Bigfoot. Yes, after... Because, so there had been a story of an attack. A film, there was a filmed attack. Yeah, and then something more recent happens and so they decide they're going to go look and they get out there they get out to the community they immediately interact with a guy who is let's say skeptical of them yes um, he's very hesitant he's 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 hostile even hostile towards their big he doesn't like these big city fat cats coming out here and telling them what to do and then um the movie the movie very quickly loses its narrative thread we see flashbacks Upon so flashbacks upon flashbacks. Okay, so what, what's basically going on is well, the first night they stay, so they, they, they camp out at this dude's cabin. And the first night they hear the locals basically having some sort of murder sex ritual to worship the Bigfoot. Yes. So that's a thing. Um, and then the next night 
our man is just sort of telling these stories about Bigfoot. But the movie, every time we see Bigfoot fuck somebody up, which keeps happening, it then cuts to the guy telling the story. So, like, after a while, you can figure out that's what's going on. But the first couple times I'm thinking, wow, this movie really took a turn. And then it's like, oh, wait, oh, he's just telling another story at the campfire. Yeah. He tells, like, ten fucking stories. Just, just all these scenes. They... Our main characters barely interact with Bigfoot until like the very the, end. The very the end of the very movie. End. They just are hearing stories about Bigfoot while they hang out at a fire, being like, "I don't know, it's whatever." There's one interaction where they're fucking. There's so much fucking in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's so disgusting. much unnecessary <laughs> sex. There's a guy in this movie. like sucking on a booby, and then Bigfoot's like watching, like, "Oh, ho, 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 ho. like, uh, it's it's a breast." Justin. I'm sorry, sucking on a breast. The point is, is that uh, there's a lot of sex scenes and there's a lot of Bigfoot interrupting sex. There's a lot of Bigfoot being Bigfoot like, Bigfoot does not like Are sex. you having sex? Yeah. Murder. Yeah. Uh, but the, so the group that our main group, th- there's so many flashbacks that it, it does start to get confusing, but there is a point where our main group, uh, two of the people, they, they venture off. They go a good three feet away so no one can see them fucking. <laughs> and then they get it on, and then Bigfoot comes along, and he doesn't quite murder them, but he just scratches the Heavily guy. Heavily pats him on the back. He's just like, what are you doing over there? Scratch on your back. I just want to be part of your of or, your sex or ritual. Or maybe he was like, hey, good job, and just went too hard. Um, but then there's more stories. Like, there's not really a panic about this guy getting like they're upset at first when they're like well we should just tell more bigfoot stories i guess and then, there's not a sense of urgency that no, this guy's just been attacked, attacked by, big, by big bigfoot fo- like you know at least half of them were like this fucking professor nugent's full of shit but we'll go anyway and then like the f- second night that also there are numerous nights that's one of my yep. pet peeves is when there's like night of the such and such and then there's like multiple nights like no nights of the demon Okay, get it right, uh, Jim Ball, who wrote this, and James Watson, who directed it, Knights of the Demon. Um, I think the coolest part about this is that they don't they don't really elaborate on it at all. Is the fact that there's a cult in the woods worshiping Bigfoot. I thought that was, they have like an effigy of Bigfoot that gets set on fire. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but at this point, they, they they start hearing stories about this backwoods woman named Crazy Wanda. Oh, yes. Crazy Wanda. Crazy Wanda, who the locals are like, yeah, she just lives back out in the woods. You know, she just comes in and buys candy at our store. Her father's crazy. Her father's like a preacher. He doesn't let him. Her mother's dead. Crazy Wanda. And so they're like, okay, we have to talk to Crazy Wanda. So they go and they find Crazy Wanda. And then in another, in one of the fucking 400 flashbacks in this movie, we're treated to a scene where Crazy Wanda is... She doesn't have – and, okay, would you describe that as rape, what happens? Yes. Okay. Because that's what I wasn't sure about. I didn't know where the movie was going with that. I didn't know if they were like, this is consensual or if this was like her being taken against her will. Because you really can't tell. Okay, that's fair, actually. You could think that sh- it might be consensual, uh, which gives the movie another whole fucked up. Because the movie is, they, her father is the leader of this weird cult. Right, right. So, uh, uh, can we just mention this? I, I want you to get back into it in a sec. But, side note, we just happen to pick two movies that are conflating Satanism and, and Bigfoot. 
Yeah. Now, the second movie, we'll get into why, and it's a whole, totally different thing. It's insane. But it's just weird that both... You you know you could do a whole Bigfoot movie and never involve Lucifer? Like, or, in fact, or the supernatural at all. Yeah. In fact, Bigfoot's just a, a, a thing that lives in the woods. Harry like in the Henderson. No no spirits. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's literally... It, in a sense, a Bigfoot movie could just be like the movie Alligator, because you know yes. there's no giant alligators out there. In the same way, there's no Bigfoots, but as soon as we get into Bigfoot, it's like, well, they're fucking worshipping the Bigfoot and having rape ceremonies and shit, and you're like, but why, though? Like, the why is this in the movie? The I, don't, I don't know. Like, they, I... it's just, it is what it is. Okay, get back into it. So, so, so she's basically has fucked Bigfoot. She fucks Bigfoot. She is pregnant. Her father goes crazy, and when she has the baby, he kills it, which... Is what we're led to believe drives her over the edge into this sort of like Norman Bates esque Ed Gein territory where she like boards up parts of the house and like she's like catonic. Um. So then these people here, and we've just breezed through most of the movie right here because whatever. Um. To be un- to understand the the moments of the movie that are actual plot, like all that happens is they go to this dude's house, they hang out around a fire. A dude tries to get a dude and a lady try to get their jammy on, and Bigfoot interrupts. They talk to to Wandering Wand or Crazy Wand or whatever the fuck her name is, um, and she explains the, that there's a sex angle with the Bigfoot yes. worship, which we kind of see a little bit in the other thing, but you know yeah. whatever. Um, and then, just like he has every okay, every Bigfoot story that this dude tells is just uh, it feels like the script for <laughs> this is coming across really negative. Let me back this up a little bit. This movie is fucking ridiculous in a very fun way. And one of the ways that this movie is ridiculous is that I literally picture them sitting around going, all right, what are some ways that Bigfoot can kill people? And they came up with a good 50 or so ways. And they chopped that down to maybe 10. Then they're like, there's no way for us to work. We don't have enough characters for Bigfoot to have 10 kills. They go, we'll just have them tell a story. Because every story has no con it's like the story is there's no context. There's no this is Sam. Sam likes watermelon and he's on a trip and then bigfoot everyone is just another scene of bigfoot mauling someone in various yeah, ways they're like oh we're on this road and then the professor's like oh this is the road that a biker was on when he he stopped and then and then it cuts back to this biker being castrated by hand by bigfoot he took a whiz on bigfoot and bigfoot, and bigfoot was, was not like, happy about you. it rips his dick off and then bigfoot like, attacks girl scouts he, I, com- he he attacks couples fucking. He attacks couples fucking. He attacks anyone fishing. And you're he, done. Oh yeah, you're dead. He attacks a man sleeping in a in a fucking sleeping bag. He spins him around and then impales. Okay, him. okay. <laughs> Wait, <let's, laughs> I don't want to derail us here, but of these various, uh, let's call them murder vignettes. Yes. What was your favorite Bigfoot murder vignette? The biker getting his dick pulled off. I'm leaning Biker getting his dick pearled off, but I really liked Bigfoot spinning around the guy in the sleeping bag. That was pretty cool. It was so good. He's just spinning this motherfucker. And then Bigfoot is not. The thing about Bigfoot is that he's too dumb to think, maybe I don't need to murder everyone. But he's smart enough to go, if I throw the sleeping bag onto that jagged stick, I'm going to impale this motherfucker. He's good with tools, Bigfoot. He is. So, let's just get. Well, there, there was. I, I, I want to connect this. What I, what, what I love about these movies is, um, in some of the newer Bigfoot movies, and I think it started around when Harry and the Hendersons came out. There's been this whole like thread in movies where they're like Bigfoot's never attacked anybody. Yeah. He's peaceful. He never attacked. Or I don't know why we're saying he because, in order for there to be to be so many things, there has to be at least a she. Um, 
and a lot of these like modern movies, like um, one of the like I said, I I'll stand by. I I thought Willow Creek was a good movie. The, the Bobcat sure. Goldthwait movie. Sure. Um, one of the movies that I don't understand why it gets so much love when it comes to Bigfoot is Eduardo Sanchez's Exists, which is the other big found footage Bigfoot movie. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Which they constantly like. There, there's Bigfoot is laying siege to their cabin, and they're like, "This doesn't make any sense. He's not supposed to be violent. Why is he doing this?" Um, but what's what's really creepy is some of the stuff that this professor was talking about. Like, um, I have several books on Bigfoot behaving badly, and I've listened to several podcasts about Bigfoot behaving badly in the past few weeks. Um, one of the things that's really creepy, if you guys want to look up, and I, I guess I'll put it on Twitter. There was a skier that disappeared on Mount St. Helens back in 1963, and when they found his tracks, um, they were like they they followed his tracks skiing down the mountain. They were like he was skiing in such a way that was like the terrain was very badly, but he was going way too fast, like he was running from something. Um, and they never found his body. And that was in an area known as Ape Canyon, because I guess back in the 1920s, Bigfoot attacked a bunch of people there. Um, but. What I like about these movies is they 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 don't talk about how peaceful Bigfoot is supposed to be. No, they don't make him out to be this like mystical, wise creature of the woods. Like, he, I mean, granted, it's they're not doing it out of, out of any sort of like uh, respect or like progressive choice. They're doing it because it you know allows them to up the body count and show some gruesome shit. But I will give them credit for um, you know for speaking the fucking truth about. Oh my god! Okay, so they would learn about Wanda. What immediately precedes them finally interacting with Bigfoot? Um. Well, oh, fuck. I what I I forget what 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 was it? I don't know. That's why I was asking you. I also forgot. Here's the thing about this movie. Oh no no no! They dig up. They dig up. They dig up the fucking because she tells him the story. Uh-huh. And they're like, let's go fucking find out. So they go to the backyard and they find the gravesite of her baby and they dig up the fucking baby. Yeah. And then Bigfoot comes. I mean, I guess Bigfoot was watching him the whole time through his, you know, his Bigfoot vision, which is just a red screen with a small open spot in the middle. That's because he has terrible vision. He rushes after them. They flee to the house. And then it's your typical castle siege movie with Bigfoot trying to get in. And it's made worse by Wanda trying to let the Bigfoot in because she thinks like, oh, he's going to like rescue me or something like that. And then, uh, oh, I forgot about the student who shoots himself by mistake. Oh yeah. And he bangs into the tree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the end of this movie is basically just like Bigfoot gets in the house and then it's this like agonizingly bad. It's all slow motion of Bigfoot being like, you know, and mind you, it's like full on Bigfoot. Like, I'll give this movie credit for most of the movie. They don't show Bigfoot directly. They kind of do that like, yes, less is more because, you know, we want to let the mind's eye conjure something scarier, not because the costume looks like shit. And if they show it, it'll be laughable. So Bigfoot rushes in and they're like fighting Bigfoot in slow motion. And in what I take it back, the biker getting his getting his 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 his, his wiener ripped off is not my favorite part. My favorite part was when Bigfoot eviscerates someone and then uses their intestine as a fucking whip yeah like swinging it around yes. at people in slow motion to defend himself 
Um, and then he grabs Professor Nugent by the head and fucking presses his face to a hot plate. And that's why Professor Nugent is, like, wrapped up in, 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 in whatchamacallit. Like, his, the whole bottom part of his face comes off. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of the themes in this movie that I, I, I think are indicative of... Um, There's one uncomfortable elephant in the room that you're not mentioning. What's that? That in this particular film... Because it might be what I'm about to bring up. Oh, do it. Bigfoot looks like an African-American. Why does Bigfoot just look like a hairy black man? And I'm going to get to that. He, guys, 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 I've said a f- few too many incendiary things for white people on this episode, and I apologize. And I'm not trying to stir any pots here if you're a fan of Night of the Demon, because I mostly enjoyed the film. But when we find, because the whole movie you don't see Bigfoot, no. which is a good call. I like yeah. that. Just hairy hands and feet, whatever. Then he shows up. And his face is exaggeratedly African-American. Now, granted, his hair is what you'd expect from Bigfoot, which is like a brownish. Tawny brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he kind of then resembles a uh, an Aboriginal person from uh, Australia. Sure. Sometimes they have blonde hair and, and it, stuff. They're known as the Yowie in Australia, the Bigfoots. Sure. Yes. Point being is that it's unsettling because usually when you see Bigfoot, he's got a bestial face. At least everything I've seen. Yes. Various versions, he has some sort of bestial face. And in this one, he just looks like a guy with a hair problem. Yeah. And I was confused. Yeah. Uh, so I-, I think what this movie represents is where you have the virginal daughter being corrupted by this thing. Um. I think it's an extension of the, um, you know, the early, you know, early 20th century in cinema and maybe we'll say like 19th century in like literature where there's like there's the white woman who's in danger by the savage beast from the jungle. You know, it's like how King Kong sort of had those like uncomfortable racial racial overtones. I, I, I think that these Bigfoot movies a lot of times are just extensions of that. They fall upon a lot of like really unpleasant racial stereotypes that like black men are just these sex crazed demons that are trying to get to, to quote unquote our women and we have to defend them from him. Um, and this, the design of the Bigfoot in this movie really only drives that home even further. Yeah. Before I saw Bigfoot, that would not have occurred to me. And you know, I, I look at things with that sort of lens a lot. Oh yeah. But in this case, I was just thinking of Bigfoot. I'm just thinking this... of a creature that lives in the woods. And honestly, some of the anxiety is related a little more to me to uh, maybe a class or culture thing around people who live in rural communities. Like, in that sense, it almost had a folk horror vibe. These okay. people in the woods worshiping this Bigfoot statue, like I whatever, was whatever. I with that. I was, that was... Totally. But then when he... Like you saying that, like, well, it's connected to the racial thing. That's probably true. I just wasn't thinking in that direction. So when he... Show when I keep saying he, I'm assuming it's a he because he impregnated the woman. Um, when Bigfoot shows up and he so clearly looks like a black man that I just was like, I don't know that I understand what's going on the right s- now. Second, it was very weird to me, especially since I was finding this movie less racially taught than the other movie, which has so many weird Asian things in it. Holy. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go back to this one. Though. Uh, sorry. No. The, the the second that they start talking about the daughter being corrupted by this by this being from the savage wilderness, 
I was like, I know where this is going. I know exactly what I know the path we're going down, and I know the narrative we're going down. I know what we're gonna see later on. Um, so, yeah, I, I I do think that these 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 movies, part of the horror that these movies want to try to try to um, exemplify, it's not just the gore, it's not just the, the 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 people being attacked. It's about the women being savaged by this beast, this man beast who's not quite a man, but he's more than an animal. Uh, and it's very like a uh, Kipling, you know, is very Kiplingy uh, when it, when it comes to that. And I think this movie, especially with the fucking design at the end, when it busts in and it's in the, the light that you can fully see its face and everything. It, it, it it's sort of like, how the fuck did this, how, how is this not intentional? You know what I mean? How, how, how did they, how did they just miss this? And no one said something about it. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's just upsetting. I guess it's it's it didn't ruin the movie or anything for me. It's not upsetting that way. It was just surprising. I just didn't see it coming. And then when it happened, I was like, "Why?" Oh no, I, I mean, don't. I kind of the the problem with these movies is also it, I'll give this movie credit for one thing. At least it didn't have the mystical Native American. Right. Ex- oh, thank you for bringing that up. Yes. At least it, did. it didn't have that. At least it didn't have any of that. It didn't have any, any anything like that. But the problem was with these movies, they almost always have a mystical Native American. Right. And if you're prone to one sort, if if you're prone to one sort of problematic trope, you got the door open for other problematic tropes. Right. And like I said, as soon as I, as soon as they were talking about the daughter and the, you know, giving birth to a demon, I was like, here we go. Like I, I know where this is going. Like. And it, it, I mean, granted, let me. It was worse than I thought it was going to be. Like, it, at least when it was just the daughter being impregnated by the hairy man from the wilderness, I was like, okay, that's an unsaid thing. It's kind of sketchy, but whatever. But then when they showed it, and it was like, fuck, that's really bad. It's just weird. It's a weird thing for me. Uh, on the other hand, maybe it's in some ways kind of interesting because, like, how intentional is it? Are, are they really playing off those anxieties? Yes. Like. I don't know. Okay, so all I'm going to say about it is if <clears throat> if you're not upset that the violent, raping, murdering Bigfoot... I mean, okay, so the plus side is that this is a movie about a bunch of rural white people who worship a black man, basically. It's pretty cool. So that part's cool. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But the fact that it plays off the anxieties of, like, giving yourself sexually to the beast in the wilderness... Uh, again... There's some similarities here to Blood on Satan's Claw that no, probably no, are worth exploring. But but I, without that part, without the facial reveal of Bigfoot, this is just a fun, poorly made, violent movie yeah. that, that has the most insane pacing. It's like, we're all sitting around having a boring conversation. Nothing interesting here. Well, let me tell you a story. And then... Explosion of violence, ultra violence, un- unjustified violence, and then film level violence, and then back to a very boring story. We're looking for Bigfoot. Why oh. are we just hanging out? He stole know? our boat and all of our guns. Yeah. What are we gonna do? Oh no! He also makes two Girl Scouts kill each other with knives, which is pretty cool. Right, I was gonna say that the Girl Scout section was pretty good too. Yeah. Again, he uses tools. He's not dumb. No. Like we said. Don't get me started on why we cannot find Bigfoot, because I will not shut up about it. He's too good with knives for us to find him. No, no, because we tried to kill them thousands of years ago, and now they're hiding from us. You know what? I now believe in Bigfoot. I'm 100% on board. We can't find Bigfoot because he's inside of all of us. He could be, because we're all part Neanderthal, and his his genetics, he mixed in with all of us. 
Reve- what if we made a movie called Revenge of Neanderthals? Has it not been made already? No. No, that was kind of like what the, the book of The Descent was about. That's true. The Jeff Long book? Yeah. Anyway, there's also a Repairman Jack book about that. What up, Ryan Sawyer? He knows what's up. Um, I was going to say something, but I forget. Okay, so Night of the Demon has a lot of white anxiety in it. Yes. Obviously. But um, it's still kind of entertaining. It's fun. It's, you, it's, it's, it, I think it's shot on video, right? It looks like it, yeah. Yeah. If you like... If you like exploitation movies, if you like slasher movies, if you like nature gone wild movies, you're going to love this movie. It's got like – it's. I mean we, we – this – I actually said it when we were watching it. Um, you know, we talked about the biker being castrated and the intestines being used as flails. But like there's a lot of gore in this movie and they try to do um, – they try to do like you know how like in like Fulci films when somebody gets like their neck cut open and the camera like gets in there and it really like lingers on it. They try to do that sort of like really creepy voyeuristic thing, and they fail miserably because they don't understand that they're still kind of you, you got to do that shit with like velvet gloves and be kind of subtle about it. Where this movie just shows like there's a scene where this guy and this woman are like having sex in a van, and Bigfoot kills the guy and like throws him over the windshield, and his body is just sliding down the windshield for like thirty seconds, and it that doesn't sound that long like thirty seconds, but like watch a movie. And, and count to 30 as you're watching a guy slide on the windshield. It goes from being like voyeuristic and gory to boring. Um, there, uh, but I mean, that, that's, there, 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 there's a ton of gore in this movie, like really good gore too. Like the scene where Bigfoot eviscerates the dude and like uses his intestines as a weapon is pretty fucking creepy and there it was there also or like this, the movie starts with the old fisherman getting his arm ripped off and there's a close-up of the arm oh, and it so looks gross. really good yeah 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 so i mean yeah if if you like if you're just if you're just in it to watch like a like a like a dumb horror movie you'll have fun watching this movie it was it was it was this movie was if anything else it was fun to watch um which is a whole lot more we can say about the next movie 1974 Shriek of the Mutilated. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little mad we watched this movie. Yeah. Uh, I had to watch this movie twice. So take that. Uh, here's the thing. We would love for this podcast to just be us constantly fucking ejaculating joy because we saw another amazing horror film. I still have fun with the movies I watch, even if they're bad. I didn't think this movie was great, but I had fun watching it. What did we do? What was the last episode we did? Uh, we did with Ashley Blackwell, the three short films. Oh, that that was the last one we did. That was the last one we did. What was the one we did before that? Um, was that the one we did with uh, Lit Crit Guy? No, there was one in between that was just us. Hmm. I don't know what song that is, but uh, let me look it up. That was uh oh, that was uh the Deadly Spawn and Grabbers. So I just think we're on a we're on a streak here of not good movies in the sense of like Deadly Spawn that was fun Grabbers is bad yes uh, in this one Night of the Demon that was fun Shriek of the Mutilated is bad uh, Shriek of the Mutilated Shriek of the Mutilated is up there with some of the worst movies I've ever seen right so I I, I say all that to say. Uh, 
don't stop listening to the podcast just because we're not joyful. Okay. <laughs> the Lit Crick Guy episode is really good. The Ashley yeah. Blackwell episode is really good. Those are good episodes. We're not every time we record going to be like, oh, that was okay. And oh, this next one is a real piece of shit. We're like, doing an episode soon on Mario Bava. So we got some good shit coming up. But before we get to that good shit, we got to Andy Dufresne it and crawl through a fucking pipe of shit. And that pipe of shit is Shriek of the Mutilated. Oh, here we go. And we'll be right back to talk about it. All right. The sight of it will live with you or die with you, but you will never forget the Shriek of the Mutilated. The Abominable Snowman, the Yeti, or is it? A scientific expedition that turns into a nightmare for all but a few with the surprise ending of the year. Sometimes it almost sounds like something human. Find anything out there. Dr. Prell thinks we might. Oh, Prell's got a thing about snowmen. The trouble is that people believe that garbage is can get themselves in trouble. It's the damnedest thing, Ernst. If it isn't a Yeti, I can't imagine what it could be. I could see it as it was chewing the flesh of Tom's leg. Honey! Stop treating me like a child! Will you stop acting like one? Dr. Prowl brought you on this mission for a reason! This is not for the weak. This is truly the Shriek of the Mutilated. Rated R. We are recording and we are back to talk about 1974 or 1976's Shriek of the Mutilated. I like that little upturn at the end. Of the Mutilated. Liam, this is the first time you saw this movie, right? Never seen it before. Didn't even really know much about it before you forced it onto me like some sort of weird disease. I saw this movie at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater a few years ago when they had their Bigfoot Fest. Sure. Um, it was the worst movie playing that night. And not surprisingly, it's probably the worst movie we've ever done. That's saying a lot. Yes. And I'm comfortable <laughs> saying it. Yeah. So, Shriek of the Mutilated is about this... Now, stop yourselves. Stop me if you've heard this one before. It's about a professor. <laughs> Both of these movies are so anti-intellectualism. Yeah, it's about this professor who takes his students on this trip to find the Yeti, and we learn that seven years prior to this, he did an, expedi- an exp- expedition similar to this, and every student died except for one, and that student is now like a groundskeeper person on the on the campus who has been destroyed mentally by the by by the experience somehow this professor not only still has a job but isn't in fucking jail um so they go to this uh they go to this island to find the yeti and um they're greeted by a man who looks across between tim robbins character from high fidelity and larry fessenden who they, 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 they. I can't even. This, this movie makes so little fucking sense. They are one by one picked off by the by by the quote unquote yeti, and then at the very end, it's revealed that um, there's no yeti, or their yeti that they thought was the yeti wasn't the yeti. But either way, they're all being used by this weird worldwide satanic cannibalistic cult, and they the last surviving person joins them. I think that's the plot of this movie. 
Um, this movie is bad on every single level. It's poorly made. It makes no sense. There's no cohesive narrative running through this movie. Um, it feels like um, if if you've ever seen uh, like Wizard of Gore or um, any of those sorts of movies, this is like a cheap ripoff of that. This is like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, there's a movie. I think it's called like Satanic Prostitutes or, or yeah, Satanic. yeah. It's like that. It's in other words, um, the nineteen seventy four B level. We've never made a movie before. We have no money. Half the cast is on drugs. <laughs> that level is different than the eighties one. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, budgets, the experience level, of the people who made these two movies were similar. It's just in seventy four, you really the the expectations were low. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing: the, the the low budget, inexperienced filmmakers. That's Sam Raimi making Evil Dead. No, I get it. What I'm all I'm saying is that um, if you've if anyone who's seen some of the lowest of the low budget 70s exploitation stuff uh, you know like not like a small studio thing um but just like a uh an independent like we shot this on the weekend thing. yes i mean to be fair they go to a cabin in the woods quote unquote that basically looks like a house in malvern pa <laughs> um and it's like they're gonna hunt for bigfoot they're in the suburb it's not even clear they're in a wooded area they're hunting for a yeti I'm sorry. They're very clear. It's a Yeti. And there's this weird... Okay. What is going on with the Eastern fetishism in this movie? Uh, oh, my God. So, okay. So, first off, we don't know where this takes place. For some weird personal reason, I was led to believe it was a Canadian because they keep talking about an island. And there's a lot of islands in Canada, I think. I don't know. I've never been there. So... You've never been to Canada? I've never been out of the country. Oh, I've been from coast to coast across these United States. And I myself may or may not have seen a Bigfoot. But I've never been out of the country. We should we should get invited to... Uh, invite us to your podcast festival in uh, London or some shit. Yeah, yeah, we'll come. We'll hang out. We'll be the ignorant yanks that you know we are. <laughs> we'll leave these colonies and come to your house. So, okay. So, first of all, there's all this college shit. You know, unnecessary college partying with it's 74 so lots of weird fabrics and corduroy and shit oh and my god oranges and then this group goes um they go again in theory to the woods to look for a yeti and this home uh, I, I picture picture um i say suburbs it's not that it's suburbs but picture like the rich town just past the suburbs. Like, uh, again, er, wherever you're listening to this, you have a different experience. But anyone from the Philadelphia area, imagine you're driving out of Philly, you hit some of the early suburbs, but then you get to, like, Lower Marion, where, sure, it's wooded. Yeah. But there's homes nearby. This is just a home that has some trees behind it. It's not like the fucking wilderness. Like, they act like they're at a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That is not where they are. See, I'll give Night of the Demon credit for one thing: is they went way out in the middle of nowhere to film that movie, right? Right. Or at least far enough away from civilization where it looked like this was like, oh my, like Liam really isn't 
exaggerating. This is literally like a house that like if you if you looked you could probably if you look close enough, if you look through the trees, see their fucking neighbor's house. So there's also all this like there's there's all these like structures everywhere for, for there for this supposed despite the fact this is supposed to be isolated enough for a yeti to live in which again this isn't the himalayas this is this is this is i'm assuming north america um they are they're they're finding like barns and shit like that with like broken down farm equipment like they're obviously not that far removed from civilization and it it, it 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 never feels that way. Like it never feels distant and remote and exotic. It just feels like there's a bunch of people fucking off in their backyard in in some suburban, um, slash rural neighborhood. But it is, uh, um, it is rural enough for uh, a man to have an Indian, yes, as he calls him. <laughs> there is a who scene. he refers to as his Indian. There is a scene. There is a scene where this young girl. Of course, is walking outside and she's menaced by this, um, at first glance, I, I, Italian man and uh, fucking bizarre faux Larry Fessenden is like, uh, and this is a quote. This is a quote. Don't mind him. That's just my Indian laughing crow. The man just looks like a 40 year old Italian man who happens to be wearing a headband. Yes. And have paint on his face as if. If you're a Native American, you're just like, sure, I live with this white guy, but I gotta wear my war paint yeah, all the time. Yeah, my my war bonnet's in the dryer right now, but I gotta let everyone know I'm Native American, so I better put my war paint on. But I can wear the white man's jeans all around, yeah, the, around the and house. his and his vest, no shirt. Okay, just to say, this film was filmed in Croton on Hudson, New York. You may know this location from such movies as The Book of Henry, War of the Worlds. The Toxic Avenger Part 2. It's an hour drive from where we are right now. <laughs> Is it really? It's not that far at all. No. it's. I think it's literally an hour outside of New York City. Yeah. Ganjin Hess. I wouldn't be surprised if this was filmed in the mansion next to the mansion in Ganjin Hess. Yeah, no doubt. It's not. It's just, it's ridiculous. And so, okay, we're being asked to buy into a lot of things here. One, the man who is the professor uh, has the vibe and uh, persona of like... Uh, a mildly well-educated plumber. Like, nothing about him <laughs> comes across as academic or intellectual. And it's made even worse by the fact that all he talks about is fucking yetis. So, like, yeah. it's already a thing. Then we've got the students, who none of which are the right age. No. And uh, this is 1974. These students are so state... Like, at one point, a dude walks into a room where his girlfriend is staying with another young woman. Yes. And she is wearing a fucking neck to ankle slip nighty thing yes that could reveal nothing i mean i guess in theory it's not that thick but it's you know it's basically as in 1974 she goes oh my god like she's Ooh. so shocked to see him i'm like you're you're wearing a moo moo like what the fuck is going on <laughs> in this movie and, and then um as the movie moves forward uh they are out searching for this Yeti, and the Yeti's picking them off one by one. And they are buying into the most... Okay, the shooting the gun every two hours. It, nothing... Uh, so the one guy gets lost. He gets fucking eaten by the Yeti. and Well, uh, we know he doesn't get eaten by the Yeti, because yeah. there's no fucking Yeti. Yeah. Well, no, he gets killed. 
And then fucking Barry Lessiden is like, yes, it's an old it's an old scout trick to fire the gun every two hours so they can hone in on it and find their way home. So we have to stay up and, and keep watch and fire the gun twice every two hours. Like he made that up that I've never heard that before. I mean, granted, I'm not like an adventurer, but I, I can't see that being like this just sounds stupid. It sounds like something someone that knew nothing about hiking would say to sound like they knew what they were talking about. Um, another just dumbly inexplicable thing about this is because in this sad attempt to build dread and create tension, they have this thing where like the fucking Yeti's harpy is so loud. That's how you know it's coming. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of an example in a movie that does it well. Like, uh, I, I I can't. I'm blanking because I'm so annoyed. Um. So that anytime you hear like the dun 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 dun, you're like, oh shit, the Yeti's nearby because it, it's its heart is so loud you can hear it coming and ah. And we're talking about it being low budget. Low budget, the way it looked. Uh. About the racist Indian. Yeah. Let's just go from there. Um. So the biggest biggest problem with this movie, aside from the fact that it fails on every level, technically, um, is not only does it have a, a, a rather backwards view of Native Americans, um, the, the term Indian is thrown around, which some people are okay with, some people are, I'm not, because whatever. Um, but apparently also, th- this takes place in a time where this gentleman is comfortable referring to Laughing Crow or laughing fox, whatever, um, as my Indian. He apparently owns him. Um, apparently, Laughing Crow a few years ago witnessed a Yeti do something, and it drove him to the point of madness, and he can't... He's so simple-minded that all he can do is the most meaningful, meaningful of all tasks. So, this guy's cool with slavery, I guess. Um, but then at the end, when it when it when it's revealed, the, the, the big reveal is that there is no yeti. I, although I thought there was, I could have sworn the guy they said they kept the yeti in a cave and let it out for certain purposes. No, there's no yeti. You weren't paying attention. No, I was paying attention because that's what I thought the first time I saw it too. No, he has the yeti costume, but on. he says we keep it in the cave. The real no, yeti's no, in a no, cave. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He does say that. No, he doesn't say that. <sighs> so anyway, they wear a yeti costume. To scare people to death because they like to eat them then. And there's this big worldwide spanning satanic cult that every seven years they get together and they do this. And then when they show like the fucking it's there's all these like horrible, horrible stereotypes of like Eastern culture and African culture. Like the one guy who I guess is the African represent representative is basically like sitting there like he might as well be wearing like a fucking bone through his nose. Um, and the, the, the term they have for, um, human flesh, the dish that they make with human flesh, it's called like gin sung or something like that. Um, and their cons like the, the Orients, they know how to make it right. And blah, 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 blah. So it, it, that comes down to is this, this, this fascination in like American cinema and literature with the, the other, the exotification of, of, of the other, be it the, you know, you, you see like the, the, the yellow peril stories and the dragon lady stories or the, again, I brought up earlier like Rudyard Kipling and he has like the, the white man's burden. Like there's the, there's what's appropriate for us 
and what's right is our culture, and then there's the other, which is whatever that is being seen as this source of anxiety and and, and terror. And this movie just kind of grabs a handful of that sense of other and just throws it on the plate and like that's our villain right there. He's like it's like it's like different religions, uh, different cultures. Like they're all evil and they all eat each other. And now we're gonna take you, the white bread college boy, and now you're one of us. Um, so I, I I doubt this movie was really playing a part or or you know was was trying to make any kind of point, but it definitely heavy-handedly uses the fear of, um, you know, the suburban white, you know, student becoming some sort of, like, weird, terrifying, exotic hippie. And that's what happens at the end of this movie. And um, that's kind of why I, I picked this movie is because it, 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 it sums up the problems that a lot of these movies have, is this fear of the other, quote-unquote. Yeah, I mean... I think what's interesting about that with this movie is that it's this worldwide it, it's also this sort of thing where um there's a suspicion that people in power have uh, some sort of conspiracy going on. Yes. And you know it, the the are there's two survive there's two characters kind of surviving towards the end of the movie when it's revealed that there's no yeti. And one is the girl who they're going to scare to death and then consume. The other is this dude who escapes. He finds a cop. They return. And, of course, the cop is in on it. Of course. Um, And so the film then, it manages to play off all of these stereotypes. Although it is interesting to point out that at the end, it's revealed that Laughing Crow is not actually a mute, possibly. He's just a normal guy. Yeah. Would you like white meat or dark? White meat or dark. The last line of the movie. Yeah. Um, but the the point the point I'm trying to make is that it does take this thing, which is, I think, a very white anxiety of the you know, let's say let's say not quite Illuminati because we don't know that these people control the whole world, but secret society. There's a secret society. We don't know they exist. Yeah. They have power. We can't get away from them, and they're using our superstitions against us. The yes. Yeti is just one way to trick people to get what they want, which is the thing. Now, but it's still a society that's like weirdly diverse. Like that's part of the scariness is like they have all these international types. Yeah. And then that the that the the thing that I find so ridiculous is the whole conceit that this dish is like an Asian they keep calling it, you know, what is it? Jinsung, I think. Jinsung, you know. First of all, the first time these folks eat this meal, where the fuck are they even? (laughs) They're just, everyone in the restaurant is white. Everyone who works there is white. But they're having a, quote unquote, local delicacy. Then, when they're, as far as we can tell, in the same place, just now at the cabin. They're eating the same thing. The guy's like, oh, I thought this was only an Asian dish. Motherfucker. Oriental dish. They don't. They That's don't true. say Asian. They I don't say Asian. This was only an Oriental dish, motherfucker. Well, you weren't in Asia before. Yeah. I don't. So none of that makes sense. And then, and then, um, this playing off of this scary Native American character. There, there are just so many weird aspects. First of all, connecting. Um, there's a clear move in the movie to connect native culture in America with. Uh, 
let's say, because this is what the movie does, oriental culture. So, like, yeah, like it almost the movie almost plays up the assumption, like, because one of the things you could ask yourself is, why is it that the this creature we're talking about, Sasquatch, it's more of a Canadian native, you know, yeah, Inuit word, Bigfoot. It's a very colloquial American. Yes, thing. but then the Yeti with the Himalayan, whatever. Uh, the movie almost seems to just like, well, the connection between the Yeti and the Bigfoot is that Orientals and Indians, <laughs> they're the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if I, I, I guess even though there's no actual, like, direct Asian Americans, I mean, first of all, other than the African man at the end, there's no people of color in this movie because no. I refuse to accept that Laughing Crow. Crow is actually Native American. Like, that, that is an Italian man. Um, <laughs> Or possibly um, some other swarthy white, but um, but also the fact that this film plays off of this like yellow fear, you know, this sort of like Asian image without having any Asians in the movie, it's just so interesting to like so strange in its own way. Oh, by the way, the guy who played Laughing Crow is named Ivan Agar, so maybe he's um. Romanian? Yeah, Romanian. I don't know. But he's certainly not Native American. You may have seen him in such other movies as Behind Locked Doors and La Contradicta. I've never seen any of those movies. Uh, La Contradicta, by the way, was filmed in 2017. So he was in Behind Locked Doors in 1968, Shriek of the Media in 1974, and La Contradicta last year. What the fuck was he doing for 40 years? I don't know. Um, okay, so... That that I thought was a weird thing that the film did, which was basically connect. This is what unites these folks. Is there, and then and then with the society at the end, to what extent is this secret society about this? Uh, let's call it Orientalism, this fetishization of the of the East Asian cultures yes. into this one sort of mixing pot of mystery and cannibalism. That's what I'm saying. It's 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 all these mis- it's all these cultures that the filmmakers didn't understand. They just threw in the pot. And also let's not forget it's being led by a weird German guy who when they talk to every time they, they like he he's like talking to them through their like their, their, through their ham radio and they have a picture of him, like a portrait mounted on the wall above the ham radio. And every time they're talking to him, every time he's talking, they just show the picture. And it's so fucking weird. It's so weird that he's like their leader. There's all this like these like other cultures like mixed in. And then their leader is just this far off distant European dude. It's a little weird. So I don't know. But I mean, the, but that's the problem that a lot of these movies have. It's like Liam said, the fetishization of Native American culture, which we see even to this day. Um, and then this like fear of the unknown and this this demonization and and, and exotification of, 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 of what we don't understand into we can just use it like they, they just look at a culture that they, they have a, a piss poor understanding of like Native American culture. And they're like, yeah, we could just use that or whatever. Just make it like. Like, I'm amazed that at no point they didn't refer to the Yeti as, like, an evil Indian spirit. Because that is totally how this movie plays out. That's how this movie feels. It feels like the, the type of movie that would unabashedly and unironically and straight-facedly do that. Um, it's worth pointing out that this dude who made this movie, Michael Finley, it, it's not like he was doing a lot of other art films. <laughs> We're looking at movies like... 
Satan's bed. Take me naked. The touch of her flesh. The curse of her flesh. The ultimate degenerate. He died not long after they made this movie. Yeah, he died in a helicopter accident in 1977. Apparently for the movie Funk, which he directed (laughs) as Julian Marsh, he invented uh, his own kind of 3D camera. Uh, Funk, if you're wondering, is in fact uh, uh, a porno film. And it was, in fact, I think the first porno film to be filmed in 3D. Check this out. So this guy made a movie called The Touch of Her Flesh, and another movie called The Curse of Her Flesh, and then finally, The Kiss of Her Flesh. But my favorite, uh, my favorite, um, he went under the pseudonym Julian Marsh, my favorite movie of his, by the title alone, is The Closer to the Bone, The Sweeter the Meat. He made some stuff, and so um, one of the actually one of the movies I'd actually heard of that he made is Virgins in Heat. <laughs> yes. So uh, to get back to the idea here, um, you know, Shriek of the Mutilated. Other than the fact that it presents these college students as weirdly uptight, plays like a porno film. It, oh yeah, it is that level of. Um, I hate to say it, but like poorly done, which isn't to say there aren't artsy porno films because there are not anymore. But back in the day, you ever seen L.A. Zombie? <laughs> no, that's a fucking well done porno movie. <laughs> but the point is here is that um, Shrink of the Mutilated is trying to play off of certain themes the way that a, 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 a porn might as well in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, let's really hammer home this Indian character. Let's really hammer home, you know, this conspiracy thing. Like, I, I just think it has the subtle, it has the subtlety of a porn. Um, yes. As well as the poor film quality of a yes. porn. Um, and the fact that it doesn't have, it's so, I almost wonder if this was some sort of like out of character thing for him because it has no sexuality in it. It's completely no. neutered to the extent that I'm like, was he trying a new thing? Was this like some way of him it's, trying to it, get out of it? Or I'm, I'm just amazed that the man who made Body of the Female, The Kiss of Her Flesh, and uh, The Closer to the Bone, Sweeter the Meat, didn't have fucking uh, at least some some girl-on-girl kissing. No, it's it's a very uptight movie. Again, maybe it was an effort on his part to get out of that. Um, fucking prude. Well, I don't, I don't know. We we are talking about the guy who, uh, who uh, filmed the first three porno, from what I can understand. So he also died. He had the old Vic Morrow treatment. Uh, spinning uh, rotor blades decapitated him. It's pretty fucking nuts. So enough about Michael Finley's personal life. This movie is fucking garbage. It's it embodies everything that's wrong with horror movies during that time period. Uh, it's trash. And I've had to watch it twice now. I really want... Here's the thing, y'all. And Justin knows this. He's not going to be surprised. I have a certain affection for, for trashiness. I have a certain affection for um, low-budget uh, smut. Yes. Um, if this movie went there, like the problems with the film is, um, for me is there's no hook. Like, okay, bad script, bad acting, sure, whatever. Cool. There's no gore hook. There's no weird off the wall shit. It's all very predictable. It's all very boring. Um, and nothing about it really hooks onto you. If there was a hook, if there was an angle, if there was a thing, 
then I would probably be like, okay, cool. Um, I can look past some of the other limitations of the movie. Um, but when you add on that there's no extremity, again, from a guy who did mostly porn, um, I'm assuming he the choice to go a little more uh, controlled here was a deliberate decision to get away from that world. But by being so neutered, he doesn't add... There's no addition. There's nothing to bring you in because it's made not very well. It's not very well done. Um, and uh, it also has the bag, the unnecessary baggage of all this fucked up weird shit that it doesn't need. The story doesn't need that stuff. Well, like, and it just makes it more uncomfortable. Like I said at the end of this, and there's not really much more we can really talk about with this movie, the ending where, where there's this like cult that's behind all of it really feels tacked on to the last second because I really think they just set out to make this stupid ass movie about a Yeti attacking people. Realized that they couldn't they were just they, they couldn't set it apart from the pack and then they were like, let's throw a fucking cult in there that's eating people and the Yeti's not real. Like I refuse to believe this movie started out trying to be that clever where they were like being subversive and using it as like a a tactic to, to like a red herring. I, I I cannot see the filmmakers being that clever. <sighs> I'm torn on that, but it doesn't matter because even if they are that clever, it doesn't change the fact that it's a really bad movie. Exactly. And again, like I said, this is not like a um, we think we're better than this kind of movie or some shit like that. This is just not well done, and, and there's nothing really to sell me or anyone else on the movie. No. All right, so this is why I was starting off apologetic because <laughs> one of the things I think that sets this podcast apart in some ways is like getting into it, like really having something to talk about, and there's just nothing to fucking talk about. The movie's just bad. I think we 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 we, we talked about the the, the 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 white anxiety parts of it. I think were good. I thought that was that was that was fun to talk about. I mean, we'll have we'll we'll, we'll get more into it when we do our episodes on Bava and Oids. That's true. I am stoked on those Oids movies. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, also, did you know that Teddy Roosevelt encountered Bigfoot? Um, he did not. Okay. You say that I what, say he did. What Teddy Roosevelt encountered was his drinking problem. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, so, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for Chris and the crew at LVAC for their support. Um, you can check out more episodes of Hard Business at www.cinepunks.com. Um, there's more episodes of Hard Business, and there's lots of other podcasts to check out, including but not limited to Black Sun Dispatches, Cinepunks itself, and The Mandate. Uh, we also have a link on there. If you are interested in subscribing to our Patreon account, you can go there. And we have uh, we have stuff, groovy shirts you can buy. Um, shirts, pins, whatever. There's a lot of hip cool swag you can wear um you can find us on itunes so you can go to itunes and rate review subscribe and download 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 uh you can find us on twitter at the harbiz 666 um and you can email us at the harbiz at gmail.com and uh yeah as always thanks for listening until next time uh stay spooky peace